Awesome. Are you ready for the word of God this morning? This afternoon, 1255, whatever day it is, whatever time it is. Turn with me to Psalm 139, 23 to 24 in the Amplified Version. It uh, should be on the screen. You, you can go to YouVersion Bible app, and if you look up churches, go to City Point, Northern Colorado, and on the YouVersion Bible app, all the scriptures and all the points weekly are posted on there, and you can include your notes, and you can follow that way if that is how you operate technologically. But uh, we are in a series of called Healthy Relationships. Everybody say, Healthy Relationships. Say with a little bit more gusto, say healthy relationships. Healthy relationships make the world go round. It's what we desire. It's what God desires for you and I to step into thriving friendships, circle of friendships and that we do it in a biblical framework. A few weeks ago, Pastor Rick opened up on May 7th. On May 14th, we had the panel with all the uh, women up here talking about marriage and, and, and bringing an incredible word in, in, in that regard. But today, we're going to jump into Psalm 139, and it says this, Search me thoroughly, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there is any wicked or hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. In the message version, it reads this, investigate my life, O God, find out everything about me, cross-examine and test me, get a clear picture of what I'm about, see for yourself whether I've done anything wrong, then guide me on the road to eternal life. If you're taking notes, write this title down. I want to talk about repair your relationship with confrontation. Repair your relationship with confrontation. Holy Spirit, this is your time. This is your moment. Our hearts are open. Our hearts are surrendered. Transform us into your likeness in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, everybody say confrontation. Confrontation. It's easier for some of us than it is for others. I, for one, I love the reward of confrontation. I've seen the reward of confrontation. Is it easy? No, it's never easy. I mean, I don't like, uh, you know, confronting people or, or necessarily hurting people or making them mad or uh, making them not like me. Uh, but the reality is, is confrontation is never easy and it comes at a cost. Some people confront too quickly without even thinking about what words they're using. Some people don't confront at all. As long as you and I are in the vicinity of other human beings, you and I will have to learn that confrontation is a necessity to healthy relationships. You see, uh, raise your hand if you've ever had to confront a barista for making your coffee wrong. The majority of you would just receive the wrong coffee and just deal with it. My wife, her mother, Pastor Lee Ramsey, is probably the most confrontational person on this planet. And so uh, when we go out to a restaurant, I remember uh, years ago, we went out to a restaurant and uh, we were all ordering and it took about 30 minutes and she ordered a steak and she ordered it more on the rare side. And uh, so finally they bring out all the food and they bring her a steak and she cuts it open and she takes her first bite and she goes, no, 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 whistles down the, the waiter, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, this steak is really, really cold. Can you take it back and redo it? So 
how many know when there's confrontation, there's a bit of cringe that happens around the table? So at that point, there's six of us, seven of us, and there's a bit of cringe that's taking place because she's confronting a situation. And so the waiter takes back the, the food, brings it back in about 10, 15 minutes, and uh, all of a sudden she cuts it open, op- takes the next bite, and little does she know, it's cold again. Whistles down the waiter, waiter, take it back. Can you please make it again? It's cold. And how, at that time, every single one of us just wanted a hoodie where we could just pull the hoodie over our faces and just in that cringing moment because confrontation is, it's real, it's rough, it's raw, it's reality. It's, uh, it, 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 it pokes at us, whether we're confronting our inner critic or whether we're, we're confronting our spouse or whether we're confronting our business partner. The culture that we live in is confrontational, whether it's online, on social media, whether it's opposing opinions, whether it's the sense of uh, one side, this woke mindset that won't even, uh, won't even listen to confrontational language, or you have this other side that's so confrontational that they'll, they'll just say whatever is on their mind and it triggers people. See, confrontation is all throughout the Bible. If you read story after story, uh, whether it's healthy relationships or whether it's destiny and purpose, confrontation is unavoidable and it's inevitable. David had to confront Goliath to see freedom come to Israel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to stand up and confront King Nebuchadnezzar because they would not worship another god. Matthew 18 to 15 to 20 says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Confrontation would even bring offense in the church next to nil to zero. Confrontation is throughout even the life of Jesus when he confronted the Jewish leaders about the hypocrisy and false religion in Matthew 3. He drove out the thieves and charlatans in John 2 from the temple with an act of righteous indignation. In Galatians 2, Paul had to confront Peter because Peter was behaving hypocritically towards the Gentile believers. So he had to confront even an apostle in the day. In the Old Testament, prophet Nathan had to confront David with his sin towards Bathsheba. See, confrontation is inevitable, but the reward is beautiful. Confrontation is powerful. And if we're gonna build healthy relationships, Matthew 5, 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers. You are a peacemaker. You have within you the spirit of God to be bold, to be righteous, to do biblically exactly what God has guided us to do, to outwork healthy relationships, to outwork a marriage that is thriving, to outwork a sense of a father to son, father to daughter, mother to son, mother to daughter, a relationship that can last the decades to come. See, confrontation is face to face. Yes, it's unavoidable, but many of us get stuck in what psychologists call a pattern of avoidance. A pattern of, I don't have time. Let me just shove it under the rug. Let's not talk about it. It's just too much right now. I've had a busy day. Let's just move on. It's just, it's just too much. And we, we create this, this pattern, this dysfunctional pattern of avoidance in our life rather than going to the dinner table and actually having a, a healthy conversation around bringing breakthrough and freedom to the situation. Psychologists also call it conflict avoidance typically birthed out of traumatic life experiences. So you could be a person that doesn't confront 
people in your life. Why? Because of maybe you were bullied. It was a traumatic experience and you were bullied growing up. Or maybe you witnessed abusive confrontation and all of a sudden that traumatic experience labeled you internally that confrontation is a bad thing. So you got to have an introspective moment right now and allowing the Holy Spirit to say, man, are you in that pattern, that dysfunctional pattern of avoidance in your life? On the other flip side, there's people that love confrontation. There's people that have used the word conflict now as a love language. They just love it. There's those, there are those people that just been, they will put people in their place straight away. They'll call that person out. They'll be the first one to call them out. They're the, they're the people that have used that domineering personality to create and build their relationships and they never know quite how to create connection, intimacy, and true friendship in their life because they just can't get out of attack mode. Raise your hand if you know one of those people. Don't poke your spouse. Please do not poke your spouse right now. But see, no matter what end of the spectrum you might be on, today I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to re revisit and repair maybe our broken relationship with confrontation. Maybe we've allowed certain things and progress has stopped in the growth of our friendships. Or if we look at the pattern of why can't I keep friends? Why do I just keep going from circle to circle, friend to friend? Why, why can't I uh, you know, truly get over this hill, this mountaintop in my marriage? See, John 13, 34 says, a new command I give you, love one another. This new command I give you. That means if he commands it, he will impart the ability within you to uh, create healthy relationships relationships and healthy relationships demand healthy biblical confrontation. Can I keep going? You see, love is what is going to sustain this revival resolve that we're in. It's love that will sustain. There's going to be power. There's going to be signs, wonders, and miracles, and we can continue to prophesy and do all these great things, but it's going to be through thriving relationships, Christ-like relationships that will be the catalyst for you and I stepping in to the sustaining long-term reformation that God wants to bring here in Loveland and beyond. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And God is, has you here in this moment to partake in not only the presence, but in the Word of God and let the seed of His Word be planted within your heart that He wants to birth forth a new season of life and life abundantly. That when people pick from your tree, man, it is good fruits. When people pick from your tree, it is life-giving. It is a positive reinforcement. It is a blessing that you are not a sucker fish, that you're not a person to be avoided, but that you are a person that is contagious. People want to be around you. You're electrifying. You're full of faith. You're anointed. Why? Because you've learned to do relationships really, really well. But see, it's really easy to point the finger and hey, this person's got the problem, or I can point the finger across the room and that person has got the problem, or we get on Facebook and that person has got the problem. But like the great prophet Michael Jackson once said, I gotta look at the man in the mirror. Ooh, I've, I've gotta make a change into my life. Come on. It's gonna feel real good. It's gonna make a difference. Gonna make it right. Uh, 
I don't know the rest of the words. Man in the mirror. But real, seriously, guys. The hardest person to confront is the man in the mirror. The hardest person to confront is yourself. And that's why David gives us a dangerous prayer in Psalm 139 when he says, Search me thoroughly, O God, and know my heart. What a humbling prayer. What a surrendering cry that in this moment, man, God, uh, David is saying, hey, here's everything. I'm exposing it all. There's no shadows. Every door in every room of my life is now open to you, and you're able to turn the switch on and let the light expose my heart. And Jesus is adamant, people. I'm going to tell you, he, he is adamant about talking about the heart because the heart is the place where adulteries are formed. And he says where jealousies begin. But at the same point, he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. See, there's both ends of the spectrum and, and see what we do in this place of the seed of emotion, this, this incubator of affection and, and, and value where things are birthed. It determines our issues of life. Proverbs 4.20 says, says, Proverbs 4.23 says, watch over your heart with all diligence for out of your heart flows the issues of life. It's like a, a, the dashboard on your car or your truck or your Jeep or whatever you drive. And on your dashboard, things will flicker and light up when they need attention. In the same way, we go to our heart and God's saying, I need to confront some of the things in your life. Search me, oh God. Know my anxious thoughts. Know any wicked or hurtful way in me. I I need you to, to, to unweed some of the things that I've allowed the enemy to lie in my life that is breaking and not bringing health to the relationships around me. So you and I today are going to confront the lie of the enemy, confront those things and those issues of our heart so that you and I can step into a new season of healthy, healthy, healthy relationships. Because I'm telling you, you can walk in the power of God, but if you're walking on the power of God and you're stomping on everybody that you're walking past, that is not kingdom. You're a resounding gong. You're a clanging cymbal. And God's saying, I don't know you, but man, love, love, love will define us as the church as we move into this season. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. It is so important that we allow Christ to be at the, the, the headship of our lives, the lordship of our lives, because, man, without Christ, our hearts are not good. And we need him because we can deceive ourselves into thinking, man, well, you know, I don't, I don't eat too much. No, that's not true. Well, you're saying that while shoving some cake down your throat. I, I, I'm, I'm only going to have one drink. It's Friday night. I'm just going to have one drink. No, you're five drinks deep. You need some help. I don't have pride even though I know that I'm the best one in the room. I, I, I'm not materialistic, really. That's why every chance you get, whether it's a window or mirror, you're looking into the, in, into the mirror doing that weird face, that, you know, uh, Zoolander, you know, whatever it is, and, and, and you're taking a selfie. I, I, I never gossip. I just want to tell people the truth so that they can pray about it. Search me thoroughly, O oh God, and know my heart. Search me, confront the lies, 
confront the things that I cannot see. I'm driving a Jeep Wrangler right now. This is my wife's Jeep. And um, uh, the crazy thing about it, and it's a bit smaller than the truck that I drive, and uh, the blind side is, is a lot more. I have to get a lot more attention to the blind sides uh, to my left and right. And in the same way today, you might have to give more attention to one of these points than the other to confront the lies of the enemy so that you can move into a place of healthier relationships. Number one is this, write this down. Confront the lie that your past defines you. Confront the lie that your past defines you. Moses is, what a beautiful story. What a paradigm between Moses and Christ. And we know Moses grew up in the Egyptian palace, was royalty. And one day he was taking a walk and he saw injustice being done between the, the soldier, the Egyptian soldier and the slave. And he got involved and somehow his, his righteous indignation took over. He committed a murder, killed the guy, fled 40 years in the wilderness. And then all of a sudden God chased him down. In one moment there was a burning bush episode, an incredible moment. And in this burning bush moment, God didn't even talk about his past. He closed the chapter on his past and he started to declare purpose and future. In the same way for our lives, too many of us dwell in the guilt of the past and it's spiritually crippling. We dwell by bringing the past into our, into our present conversations. I, I'm still so traumatized by that offense. I'm still so broken by that pastor. I cannot believe that I had to grow up sexually abused. Not that you don't need to give it attention. Not that you don't need counseling. Not that you don't need love and comfort and care. But you cannot allow that your past to define you and bring forth into your future. But guess what? Because the present relationships that you are in today need a burning bush moment. It needs a moment where you can close the chapter and be excited about what God is doing now because you are not defined by your past. You're not defined because God's word has canceled out those things of your past. Your past cannot be changed, but he's saying, guess what, my son and my daughter? I can change you. I can change the way you think. I can change the way you believe. I can change your attitudes. Even small things like the mindset of poverty. I grew up with my mom having to work three jobs, my dad living off social security, uh, us growing up in trailer homes, going from home to home, uh, never truly having anything on our wish list or our Christmas menu, uh, never having those things. And I took that poverty mindset into the first five years of my marriage. It was crippling. It was, it was destructive. It was a dysfunctional pattern that I allowed that my past, because I wasn't willing to confront that lie in my life. I wasn't willing to go to the word and truly see who I was as a son of God, my identity, who I was in Christ and the inheritance that, that I had and what I could actually pray for and what I can actually believe for. And thank God that he set me free in that moment that my past is now part of my growth toward maturity. An old Arab proverb says this, write bad things that are done to you in sand, but write good things that happen to you on a piece of marble. But many, too many of us do the opposite. We engrave bad things that happen to us on a marble and we carry it around from conversation, from conversation, from relationship to relationship, and it's a perpetual uh, cycle of destruction that happens in our relationships. Let me ask you this question. What do you believe about your past? 
Do you believe that your past has been redeemed and washed by the blood of Jesus? Do you believe that the cross of Calvary, the finished redemptive work of the cross has established a burning bush moment in your life that is a dividing in the sand? Yes, it cannot be changed, but guess what? Today I'm a new creation. Guess what? Today I am now living a new life, walking in the fullness of this life called life abundantly. Amen? Romans 6, 4 says, we, we have been therefore been buried with him through baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory and the power of the Father, we too might walk habitually in newness of life, abandoning our old ways. Let me just tell you this, because of the power of the Spirit of God, not by might nor by power, you and I can walk away from the, the, the enemy trying to define us by our past. Yes, you may have slept around. Yes, you may have taken meth. Yes, you may have gotten to destructive patterns, but that does not define who you are and it does not prophesy your tomorrow. God's power is in the place. Your past only has the power you give it. Can we obey a church that confronts the lie that we're defined by our past, but we are a church that redeemed by his blood. Amen. Number two is this, confront the lie that you need to live a life of people pleasing. Everybody say people pleasing. See, growing up because of divorce, because of circumstance, because of situations, uh, the root of rejection in my life, I, dealt, I developed a need and a striving uh, to please people. I had to please people. I, had, I was addicted to the approval and the applause of, of those around me. Uh, this is really, honestly, this is a people-pleaser confession right now. The sense that I was addicted, that I had to, uh, every conversation, hey, how did I do? Was it good? I, I, I need your encouragement. I need your approval. I, I need to be stroked because I have developed this striving in my life I have developed this void in my life that everybody else has to be a part of my feeling good about myself rather than one voice in the Word of God who is the Word of God, whose name is Jesus Christ. But yet some of us get trapped in this people-pleasing mentality. We get trapped in this place where it's a, it's a motivational force that drives a person to make a decision solely based on how much how much applause and approval they're gonna receive. It's addictive, um, even to the point where eight years after I was uh, saved, just because you're saved and you don't give your heart to the Holy Spirit to, be, to, to allow to renew your mind and the word of God to renew your mind, I didn't, I didn't confront this lie for eight years. And I started to record albums, we started to record songs. And if you've ever recorded a, an album or a song and all of a sudden it's posted on YouTube, it's on Spotify, it's on, you know, it's on uh, Apple and it's been streamed and, and then all this stuff. And then for churches, there's a, a company called CCLI where the, you, know, that you submit the songs that you write that are played at different churches all across the world. And, and so, I mean, I mean, this crippling, paralyzing, people-pleasing mentality chased me into it where I started to compare why is this song not being played more than this song at churches? Why is this song being listened to this uh, not listen to more, this song more than this song's being played uh, across the world? Why is the U.S. like this song and not my song? This would fit perfect in the U.S. But I, I I created this compare game. Why? Because I needed to be pleased. People pleasers learn to feel good. Why? And they steer conversations a certain why because I get a rush. I get a satisfying rush when I'm a, I'm, I'm 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 praised. I get a satisfying rush when, uh, when, when people are, are just 
patting me on the back, encouraging me, praising me. See, on the surface, people pleasers, they, they, they appear to be selfless and kind and generous, and they're all good on the outside, but however, beneath the surface, people pleasers are desperately insecure, and they believe that approval equals value. But Galatians 1.10 says this, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul in another translation says bond servant of Christ. It means that I choose, I am intentional about becoming a servant of Christ, that he is now my master, that I am after the approval of one audience only. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, says this in the uh, NKJV, it says the fear of man is a trap, it's a snare. In the message it says the fear of human opinion disables. Trusting in God protects you from that. So if you're always after someone else's opinion, after encouragement, it's disabling, it's disarming. In other words, it's very exhausting. It's exhaustive. I mean, if you're, if you're trapped in this dysfunctional pattern of people pleasing, no wonder the Christian life is exhausting. No wonder I just, I just can't seem to get ahead. I just can't seem to, to get this momentum in my Christian walk. Why? It's because we're trying to, to please not just others, we're trying to please ourselves. It's a self-worshipping, sabotaging lifestyle that the enemy wants to trap us in, and Jesus is very clear that this is one habit that we need to repent of. This is one habit that we need to say, God, the guide for my life, the motivational force of my life is no longer popularity. It's no longer TikTok followers. It's no longer who I am on the outside of the world. Who you say I am is exactly who I need to be. And I trust you, God, with all of my heart and all of my life. And I'm confronting this lie right now in the name of Jesus that from today on, I don't need to live for the approval of others. I live for the approval of the one. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen? Number three is this. Confront the lie that insecurities imprison you. Confront the lie that insecurities imprison you. If I could, if I could have the keys out. I don't know about you, but I grew up with insecurities. I grew up with big insecurities. You might be dealing with an insecurity right now. I remember uh, growing up with uh, my brother is two years older than me. My sister is two years younger. And my, my brother grew up, you know, like a Brad Pitt. He was just, he was beautiful in every sense of the word. And uh, he grew up with, uh, you know, he evaded every, every zit that was on, on planet earth. He just did not have zits growing up. Uh, he didn't, he had straight teeth. It was amazing. Whatever he put his hand to, he was really, really, really good at it. So I had a standard that I had to try to reach and uphold to as a middle child as someone that was, uh, saw his brother in that way. And so even as a sophomore, I was playing football and we were in the locker room and my brother was in the locker room and the whole team was in the locker room and there was a, uh, an offensive lineman, 300 pound plus offensive lineman that um, I didn't realize it, but loved to bully me. Uh, and it, you know, I'd, walk into the, I'd, lo- I'd walk into the locker room and they'd do this. Obviously, I wasn't a freshman, I was still a sophomore and, and he'd bully me and the first thing that he said is, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Aaron Horseface Lucas to the locker room. Jeez, I didn't know any nose could get bigger than that. Scotty Pippen from the Chicago Bulls has a big nose, but I didn't realize Aaron Horseface, big nose Lucas is in the locker room. 
And you don't think those types of things in our lives define us, but it was a lie that set in place that there was moments in my upbringing that I avoided the mirror. I was insecure about the way I looked. I was like, God, why did my brother avoid all zits, but I yet am zit face? I'm talking about, you look through a microscope and you see Mars and the craters on Mars. I'm talking about craters. I'm talking about it hurt to put my football helmet on because my face was covered. My teeth were jagged and, and in every direction and my mom couldn't afford braces. And that insecurity starts to line up and you, it starts to get emotional. And you start to get attachment to people pleasing and all these different things and, and you get physical identity that you start to, man, what, what is God doing? And, and you start to get jealous of others and you start to, to look here, I'm jealous of that and I'm look here and je jealous of that and why, why God, did, you know, did you create me that way but you didn't create him that way? You see, the enemy would love you to take insecurity after insecurity from this relationship to this relationship, from this friendship to that friendship, whether it's financial insecurity, whether it's, whether it's emotional insecurity, whether it's daddy insecurities, whatever it is, the devil would love you to take those insecurities from relationship to relationship, from friend to friend to friend. But I'm telling you, it is only the word of God that is gonna shatter the chains of insecurity in your life. It is only the Word of God that is going to take those, those insecurities and shatter them at the feet of Jesus. My friend, you do not have to live with one insecurity in your life. You do not have to walk into this next week with any insecurities that you can look into the Word of God and trust and believe that what God has said about you to be true. And guess what? It is going to transform you. It is going to propel you into being a whole believer. God wants you whole. He wants the entirety of who you are to be completely whole and restored. Not that you don't deal with things. Not that you don't confront things. Not that you don't wrestle with things. But God has put something within you that is special, that is uniquely designed for such a time as this. There's no other you. And that you are a blessing to this earth. That you are valuable. That you are worthy. That you are made for such a time. God is saying, would you allow me to confront the lie of that insecurity? Rip it out of the garden of your heart and position you to be the best you that you can possibly be. Would you confront those lies with me? Would you confront those lies? Search me, oh God. Search me, this insecurity, God. I don't want to live with it. I don't want to take it into my future. Number four is this. Confront the lie that can't, yet you can't overcome your fears. Confront the lie that you can't overcome your feels. Doesn't mean you're going to feel it. You're going to feel it. But you can confront it. You can attack it. My dad, we were, we were talking through this. He's almost 74 and he's always had a paralyzing fear of flying on a plane. He's almost 74 and he's never flown on a plane. You see, fear... If fear made money in today's economy, it would be the biggest money-making business out there. But I believe God is saying that we're to put fear out of business. That we're to take the power and the love of God, put fear out of business, and what the cross has overcome, we receive and apply in our lives. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious 
thoughts, my anxious thoughts. Reveal my, reveal my fears. What's, what internally do I fear that I just, I just avoid every single day? Maybe you fear losing your job. Maybe you fear the future. What's, what's gonna be the unknown? What college am I gonna go to? What sport am I gonna play? Am I even gonna get accepted? Not getting married at a certain age. Maybe the fear of failing or the fear of succeeding. Maybe the fear of losing somebody or something that you value. You see, what we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. And I was doing some cross-examination in my heart this week and just over the last eight years, there's been moments over the last eight years that there's been a little underlying fear of failing as a pastor. To be open and honest and vulnerable, the sense that I would, you know, maybe one, get, one day get to a point and let you guys down. I'm not wise enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not anointed enough. Do I really have what it takes? There's been moments like that. But I know it's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit. And I know who lives inside of me. And I know who has called me. And when he calls me, he anoints me. When he calls me, he appoints me. When he calls me, he empowers me. When he calls me, when he calls you, you can do anything that he puts your hand to. You see, we've got to confront those fears in our lives. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to cater for your fears. I'm sorry. If you're just like, well, Holy Spirit, I just need sympathy. Would you just please babysit me in the way I'm feeling in this moment? The, the Holy Spirit is not going to consult you. He's not going to cater to your fears. He wants to create a soldier within you to confront those things, to encourage you, to strengthen you. That if you have fears in your marriage, that you can rise up and say, hey, with the power of the Spirit of God, I can do all things and create a thriving marriage. Man, I feel fear of having a baby. Let me tell you, Beck and I have had nine miscarriages. Nine miscarriages, four miscarriages before we had our son who is now 19. Four miscarriages. How much fear tries to set in? How much fear that maybe the fifth one we're gonna lose again? Maybe the fifth one we're gonna have to go to the hospital again. Maybe the fifth one, maybe we'll never have children. Maybe the doctor was right at the age of 15 when they told Becky that you, because of your ovaries and the cysts on your ovaries, you're never gonna have babies. But we didn't allow that fear to sit in. We got on our knees, we held each other's hands, and we said in the name of Jesus, we believe that you have life and life abundantly. That means having children. That means having lots of children. And that means even if those children don't even look like me, we're gonna have children in Jesus name and it's going to be awesome and we're going to build a family and they're going to be powerhouses for the Lord and they're going to be sons and daughters that live for Jesus. They're going to be countercultural because they're going to be kingdom cultural. They're going to be identified with Jesus and Jesus alone. Come on, let me tell you, we didn't allow fear to grip our hearts and define us. Don't let fear. Don't let fear. Don't let fear. Don't let fear. It's time to put fear out of business. And last but not least, confront the lie that I can find victory living inconsistent to the word. Inconsistent. Search me thoroughly, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any wicked or hurtful way in me. In other words, is there any sins that need to be uncovered? Do I need that, that righteous magnifying glass to 
appear once again into every area of the cavern of my heart? And is there anything inconsistent that's not adding up? Anything that's not pleasing to you, God? Anything. See, it's easy to point someone else's sin out. It's easy to accuse others and excuse ourselves. But there's a few questions that you might ask yourself in this time. First question is, what are others trying to tell me? What are the people that love me in my life trying to tell me? What are are those people trying to identify? Maybe there's a, a repetitive pattern of certain things that my parents are saying to me or a repetitive pattern of certain things when I get in a conversation with my phone, on a phone with a, a best friend that they're telling me, I think you have a problem and you need to confront this. Maybe the common denominator truly is me and that I need to deal with what they're telling me. Number two is this, what have I rationalized for some time? What have I rationalized? You know what, I've just, I've talked myself so far out of righteousness in this area of my life that this is just how I cope. I'm sorry if you don't like it, this is how I cope. When I get feeling this way, I have to go binge and spend money. When I get feeling this way, I just have to go on social media and and vent. When I get feeling this way, I have to run to pornography because I feel comfort from pornography. This is just how I cope. I'm gonna rationalize my way out of living a holy life. This isn't hurting anybody. This sin, this is behind closed doors. No one's seeing it. It's, It's not hurting anybody. I can just keep doing what I wanna do because God's grace is there to forgive me. His grace is new every morning. I'm gonna quit. One day, I'll quit. One day, I'll quit. And I rationalize my way out of seeing the truth of God set me free. Even this, I rationalize, believers rationalize their way out of reading the Word of God. Rationalize their way. Well, yeah, it's just on the shelf. One day, I'll get it out. It's on the shelf. One day, I'll take that course online. One day, I'll jump into a life group and truly, truly start to study the Word of God. One day, you guys realize that there are, there are, there are sins of adultery, jealousy, striving, gossip, slander. There's all those sort of sins, but there's also sins of disobedience that not adhering to the commands of what God has commanded us to do. So if we're not reading the Bible because we think we don't need to, we're guilty of pride. If we are not reading the Bible because we can't find the time or we don't consider it important, we are guilty of having wrong priorities because Jesus said, seek first. Your priority should be me and watch me confront those lies and set you free into a beautiful, beautiful man or woman of God. Number three is this question is, where am I most defensive? No, 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 stop, stop. We're not having this conversation again. We're not going back there. Back off, stop, or I'm gonna avoid that person because that person is gonna try to bring up that conversation again. And so where am I most defensive? God is saying, let me search your heart. Let me look into your life. Let me, let me see your anxious thoughts. Let me, let, let me, let, God is saying, let me, let me look and see if there's any wicked way or hurtful way. Why? Because I want to lead you. I want to lead you into everlasting life. I want to lead you into a place of freedom, health, and wholeness. Right now, in this place, if you want healthy relationships, I want you to raise your hand right now. 
Come on in this place. Put your hands towards heaven. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Father. Search us thoroughly, God. Know our hearts. Examine, cross-examine, investigate. Lord, have your way. Confront us. We know that in order to have healthy relationships, it's going to demand healthy confrontation. And confrontation starts with confronting our hearts. Lord, cross-examine us. Know our anxious thoughts. Reveal our fears. Deal with those fears. That we can overcome those fears, those insecurities. That, that we don't have to dwell in the fear of man and, and constantly trying to please people, but God, we can come into submission with our loyalty to, to only receiving your approval. And Father, Lord, unveil us. If there's, if there's maybe a habitual or just a, a, a dysfunctional pattern of sin in our lives, God, that you would expose that, that we'd, we'd say we're sorry, repent of it, and God, move into a place of accountability moving to a place of, of seeing your freedom set us completely free. Lead us, God. Lead us into a new season of thriving relationships, into a new season that love would sustain the move of God that's before us. We give you our hearts. We give you our lives. Lord, repair our relationship with confrontation in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. With every eye looking this way, from the front to the back, left to the right, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're tuning in with us online, we want to give this invitation. My friend, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? Have you given your life? Have you repented saying, sorry, God, I'm so sorry. I see what you did at the cross of Calvary. I see what you did three days later when you rose again. You defeated death. You defeated sin. And you're now offering me the gift of salvation. This is a confrontational moment. God is confronting what you believe. He's confronting your lordship. He's confronting. He wants to be Lord of your life, and he's knocking on the door of your heart, and he's saying, my friend, my son, my daughter, would you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, because I want you to receive the gift of salvation. I want you to know what it tastes and feel like to be adopted in the family of God, to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are saved, that your destiny is heaven, but then your victory is here on earth to live the life that Jesus has called you to live. Every eye looking this way on the count of three, if you want to give your life to Jesus, just raise your hand. Give me a wave. One, two, three. That's you in this place. Awesome, awesome decision. Up there in the back, brilliant decisions. Awesome decision. Awesome decision. Come on, online, let us know. Brilliant decisions. Incredible, incredible. So good. Praise God. What an incredible holy moment, people, when people give their lives to Jesus. Maybe you didn't raise your hands, but God sees your heart. What we're going to do right now for those that did raise their hand, but together as a church family, we're going to say this prayer together. We're going to close our eyes and bow our heads right now, and we're going to say a prayer to ask Jesus to come into our life, to come into our heart, to bring salvation, redemption, healing, deliverance, and start us on this journey of relationship with Him. So repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I'm so sorry. I repent. I've done it wrong. I tried it myself and it didn't work. I've come to the conclusion I need you. So would you save me right now? 
I, I receive your forgiveness. And I look to the cross and I believe that you died for my sin and my shame. And I believe three days later, you rose again, defeating death, defeating sin, and giving us eternal life. From this day forth, I choose you. I make you Lord of my life. I'm now a child of God. And Holy Spirit, I need you now. Baptize me and empower me to live this victorious life following after Jesus. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on. Can we give God a shout of praise in this place? Such an awesome decision, awesome decision. For those that raise their hands, either go to the welcome desk or one of our leaders will come and see you. We have a Bible that is a gift for you. This is a moment. This is not just a moment. It's a lifestyle lived following after Jesus. One more time. Can we give those people a round of applause? Come on.